Well, good morning again, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to worship, especially those of you joining us in our traditional sanctuary or those of you joining us online or via broadcast as we continue this series, The Heart of the Story, together. And this is our last week in the series of five weeks where we've been focusing on how we can share the heart of God's story in our life and share that with the world. And in this last week, as Jeff mentioned, this is also my last week with you as one of your pastors. I just want to say that I've been so thankful and honored to get to share this journey with so many of you. And thank you for letting me into your stories and for sharing your stories with me. I've just been so blessed and my life has been changed by being a part of this church family. And so I'm so thankful for all of you. And we're sad to leave you and also excited for the journey that God has ahead for us. And so this morning in my last message, I want to remind you of the kind of story we share together and encourage you to step into your part of the story. And so to start, I'd like to begin with a little group experiment. I'd like for you to think of something that you're going to share with your neighbor here in a moment. What is your favorite epic movie? Okay, so I love epic movies, movies about a character who rises above some kind of incredible challenge to accomplish an impossible mission. And there's so many of them in our culture that we all have a favorite. So I'd like for you to do that now. If you could share with your neighbor, just real briefly, what's your favorite epic movie? All right, so, you know, we could probably talk about this for a long time because we all have a favorite movie, so we can rein it back in together. That would be awesome. Ever since I was young, I have been captivated by epic stories, whether it's Batman saving Gotham from the bad guys or it's William Wallace rising up to fight against the tyrannical English empire and to rescue his people and set them free. Or it's Frodo and the hobbits carrying the ring to Mordor, fighting against evil. Or whether it's Katniss Everdeen and standing against the oppressive regime to offer freedom to her people. These are epic stories, and they're really popular. You ever notice that? I mean, if you go to Target right now, what are you going to see when you go there? You're going to see The Hunger Games, and you're going to see Star Wars, right? There's Star Wars stuff everywhere. And we don't want to just watch these stories. We want to be a part of these stories. Actually, a friend of mine told me that you can actually buy footy pajamas of Chewbacca and wear them to sleep in so that you can go to sleep dreaming about being a part of the story as a different Star Wars character. And they only sell these for adults. They don't sell them for kids, okay? And I went to a birthday party last week. It was one of the coolest birthday parties I've ever been to. It's for a nine-year-old little guy. And the adults dressed up as characters in Star Wars. And the kids had to train as Jedis to fight against the evil forces to rescue Princess Leia. It was so cool. I brought a picture to show you, okay? This is actually Pastor Steve as Darth Vader. <laughs> and that's his son, William. He turned nine. It was so awesome to celebrate. That's my little six-year-old, Nora, who's getting him, you know, with with the lifesaver there. And it was so fun. I brought a picture of the whole group. And I mean, how cool is that? They all dressed up to be a part of this story together. And what a cool family. What a cool experience to be a part of. And from the time we're little, we want to be a part of an epic story. We want to believe that our, our lives could matter. It could make a difference. could be a part of a bigger purpose in the world to overturn all the evil that we experience with good, right? But somewhere along the way, it gets beaten out of us. We start to believe that it's not possible anymore, that those are just the things we watch on TV, and our life can't really account for much at all. There was a poet named Henry David Thoreau who captured this feeling that we often experience in the human condition, and he said this, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation, 
and go to the grave with the song still in them. And that's a tragic thing that we all fight against in our heart. We wonder if we're just a part of this random experiment in the universe and there's nothing in our lives that really is going to count for anything. It can really make a difference. But Jesus wants us to know that he doesn't want any of us to die with a song still in our heart. He's come to fill our heart with a song of hope and a story to share of being a part of bringing hope and love and the good news that God has not given up on this world and he's got a part for each one of us to play in his story. He's inviting each one of us into the epic story, the greatest story ever told of a God who so loved the world that he created this world out of his love and he stepped into this world based on his love. He's coming back for this world because of his love and he's inviting us to become people who share his love, who share his heart with this world, with the breasts that we have on this earth. He wants each one of us to find our place in his story. And uh, some of the youth leaders here like to make fun of me because I use the word epic so often, especially Melinda Kern, our student ministries director. We actually created an event for teenagers called Epic. And I try to work the word epic into most of my sermons with the youth on Wednesday night. And so I want them to know Jesus is inviting them to be a part of something bigger than themselves. It's not some religious obligation to trust Jesus, but an adventure of faith and of new life to bring hope and love into the world is a part of God's story, and he wants each one of us to find our place in it. And the question really is how, so that's inspirational to hear that invitation, but how do we find our place in this story, especially when we live in this world where there's so much evil, there's so much suffering, there's so much violence, and our lives feel so small and so insignificant? How can we ever make a difference in this bigger story that God is writing? Well, the good news is we're not the first one to wrestle with that question. People have been wrestling with that question ever since Jesus died and rose from the dead. How do we find our place in the story? And the first pastors wrote letters to Christians like you and me who are trying to live and find their part in this bigger story so they can know how they can be a part of it. And Apostle Paul wrote these letters where you can read their questions and their failures and their mistakes to try to get a picture of what it means for us to find our place in the story together today. And I want to read you this passage from his letter to one of the churches in Corinth. It's his second letter to them. They had a number of different dialogues going on. And this is the beginning of the letter to encourage them that they have a place in this bigger story. And he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Paul's saying that It's not rocket science to find our place in God's story. That finding our place in God's story is about receiving this love that Jesus has come to pour into our hearts and into our life of opening up our lives to needing God, to admitting our own pain and our own brokenness and our own need for help from God and from others, and then extending that same love that we receive from God to others in their trouble. Because the reality is we all face trouble in this world and the good news of Jesus Christ is we don't have to face it alone. God has come to walk with us in this world through the midst of our struggles and to give us a hope and a love that goes beyond the things that we're experiencing in the midst of the pain that we all have and the struggles that we all have. And he wants us to learn to become people that share that love with one another. But to do that, we actually have to face something that's kind of uncomfortable that we don't like to do. We don't like to face our pain. We don't like to face our struggles. We don't like to be vulnerable. We like to act like everything is going to be okay. 
We like to avoid it and become busy with lots of good things and activities and not face the feelings and the pain that we have inside. We don't like to let other people in. There's a movie that did a great job capturing this this year. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you go watch the movie Inside Out. It's a great little cartoon movie. And it's a brilliant story about a family that moves from Minnesota to San Francisco. And the story is about the feelings inside this little girl. And it, the brilliant thing about it is it captures the feelings inside this like operating s- system inside her soul. And in this operating system are these different characters that you see on the screen. The different feelings that we have that are personalized and there's disgust and there's anger with the fire coming out of his head and then there's envy and there's sadness over there hiding in the corner and then there's Joy who's peeking down out of the ceiling and she's this little fairy and she is the one who is the source of joy in her life and these little um, kind of crystal balls come into the operating system and each ball represents a memory from the little girl's past. And each moment in her life, new memories are being created and feelings are attached to each one of those memories. And the story goes on and as the girl begins to feel sad and experience the brokenness and the pain of her move and the struggle that she's going through, Joy begins frantically trying to stop sadness from having a part in the story. And Joy thinks the key for her to finding happiness and meaning in life and positive memories is to not have sadness involved. And at one point in the story, she actually tries to kill sadness. And it wasn't until she looks at one of the memories from the little girl's past and sees that one of the most joyful memories where she experienced the most love was when sadness was present. It was when she had made a mistake and her team rallied around her and was able to show that they cared about her beyond her performance and her perfection. And it was one of the more joyful memories of her life when sadness was right there. And it wasn't until she set sadness free to actually deal with the struggle the little girl was facing, that she could experience joy. She could experience love. Because when she was trying to kill sadness, the little girl's heart became harder and harder and became more unable to receive love and give love to anyone else. She became more isolated and in darkness. But when she actually set sadness free, she could find real love. And that's, I think, a beautiful picture of what Jesus invites us to experience us in relationship with him. He doesn't want us to try to push our feelings down, our difficult experiences, our pain, our brokenness, and our failure. He invites us to bring our burdens to him, our struggles to him, our brokenness to him, and he offers us his love and his grace and his comfort. And as we allow God into the depths of our soul, we're then able to offer that comfort to others. But when we don't, when we just act like everything's okay, then when someone else is in struggle or difficulty, we become a person who's unable to offer them comfort. We say things to them like, well, everything happens for a reason, or you'll get through it, time will heal all wounds, things that don't actually help, right? Things that don't help us deal with the struggles that we're experiencing. But when we've found the grace of God in our life, when we've found the forgiveness of God in our life, when we've found the redemption of God in our life from our mistakes and our pain and our failures, then we can become a voice of hope to others as they're walking the unique path God has for them. And that's what the church is for, where people that are a voice of hope in each other's lives and a voice of hope in the world, that find the comfort of God in the midst of a world with so much pain and struggle. To know that we're called to be a part of a bigger story that God is writing that includes you and me. 
And so to find our place in God's epic story is almost counterintuitive to say, yeah, to find your place, a heroic place in God's story is to admit vulnerability, to admit our need for help, to admit weakness, to admit brokenness, and to seek redemption is where God's story in our lives is often born in the greatest way. One of the things that I've learned from living in Minnesota for the last four years is how to face the winter. I think I've uh, told you guys before, you know, when we moved out here, I thought I knew about the winter. But this was what winter was for me as a guy growing up in Virginia. Winter was the season when whenever it snowed or almost snowed, we got out of school. And then I got to watch epic movies and drink hot chocolate because we didn't have the snow truck delivery system that you guys have. Whenever it snowed, we had these mountain passes that the bus couldn't get to. So we'd be out of school for like a week or two at a time. And this is where I just got to hang out. It was awesome. I loved the winter. And then, you know, I got to hang out with my friends and go play in the snow. And it lasted like two weeks. And it was just so cool. But then I came to Minnesota. <laughs> and people started to warn me on my way here. Like my church in Virginia, they started sending me messages like, you need to get snow tires and you need to like change your oil to this different kind of oil that's not going to freeze and make sure you get this clothing that covers all your skin because if you have any skin exposed, you could like get frostbite and have to amputate. And like I'm, I'm getting these messages. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen? And then I get here and I'm like, okay, this is what Sub-Zero feels like. This is what it feels like I heard like it's cold, but then you feel the nose hair singe when you walk outside and you feel your like fingers are literally about to fall off if they touch anything without a glove on. And then you hear about the darkness and then it gets, it gets dark at like four o'clock and you're like, I can't see anything. And then you hear about snow in May and then you're, you're shoveling snow off your driveway in May and you're like, oh, I heard about it. I'm experiencing it, right? It's another one thing to hear about. It's another thing to experience it. And winter is just a lot longer and a lot darker and a lot harder than I ever experienced growing up. And God's taught me some lessons in that. It's just a normal part of life here. You have to learn how to face the winter. And you guys need to know you're stronger than most people in the country. <laughs> God has built a character in you to face the winter that you think is normal and it's not. <laughs> And it's just normal for you. And he wants you to know that it can be just as normal for you to walk through the difficulties of life with him because he's bigger and stronger than the worst things that we face in this world. And he offers us his love and his compassion and his heart is for you and against the things that are gonna harm you. And he wants us as a church to come together to face the darkness in the light of the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what the church is for. And just after Jesus rose from the dead, he regathered his disciples and sent them on this epic mission. It's known as the Great Commission. It's the mission of every church to go into the whole world, every culture, every people, every nation, and make disciples, inviting them to know the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to live their life in this relationship of love with God, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus promised to be with us to the very end of the age. He sent them out on this epic mission of living for this purpose that was so much greater than themselves. But he knew that he needed to have a conversation with one of the leaders before he sent them out. And the leader was Peter. He knew that when he had this meal with Peter and the disciples before he sent them out on this mission, that it, the meal probably evoked some memories for Peter. Because as they were sitting around this fire pit, 
eating some fish together and Jesus was showing them, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive. I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you. I've got this mission for your life. That while this smoke was burning around them that Peter probably remembered a shameful memory from three days before. Probably remembered letting Jesus down around a fire when Jesus was being betrayed to go to the cross and Peter said, I, I never even knew this guy, the one that he pledged to his allegiance to to give his life to follow no matter what the cost. Peter denied he even knew Jesus three times. And so Peter had this place in his soul that probably wondered, does Jesus really still love me? Does he really still trust me? And so Jesus comes back to Peter and has this heart-to-heart -heart conversation with him. I think he wants to have with each one of us if we're going to find our epic story. It's a part of God's story. It's in John 21. I want to read it to you. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So there's two ways to hear this encounter between Jesus and Peter. The first way is through the voice of condemnation. It's the place of Jesus coming back to Peter and saying, you know, you let me down three times. Do you really love me? You know, when the pressure ratcheted up, you ran away rather than ran to me. Do you really love me? You know, you failed. You don't really have what it takes. Do you really love me? Or are you going to step up and find the strength inside of you to really love me when the going gets tough, Peter? Because I've got this important part for you to play in my mission. You need to prove your love to me. And that's the voice of shame and the voice of condemnation. The voice that we hear inside of all of our souls in the place where we have failed, when we've let Jesus down, when we've done what we don't want to do, when we haven't loved our neighbors ourselves, when we haven't taken care of Jesus' little sheep around us, the people that are hurting in our lives. And we all know we have that place inside of us. And we can either hear the voice of condemnation, which is not the voice of Jesus, that's the voice of our enemy bringing shame and guilt into our soul for the ways that we've let Jesus down, or we can hear the voice of Jesus in this moment, which is a voice of grace, which is of Jesus coming back to Peter saying, I want to give you a second chance. I know what happened between you and me. I see your failure. I see your rebellion. I see your rejection of me, but I haven't given up on you. I love you, Peter. I died on the cross for your sins, Peter. And I've got a place for you in my story of taking care of my sheep and feeding my lambs. And I want to heal this place in your soul so that you're not motivated by guilt and shame and trying to prove your love to me the rest of your life as you go about this mission. But you know I love you. And that our relationship is based on love. And that's what Jesus wants to do in each one of our lives. He wants to come into that place in our soul that we know we have in relationship with him. Maybe nobody else does. And offer us a second chance. Offer us a new opportunity to be a part of his mission of taking care of his lost and broken world. Jesus wants every one of us to be a part of this epic story. But to do it, we need to let him into that place. And I know 
over the last four years, as I got to share this journey with you, I've tried to be vulnerable about my own struggles and my own shortcomings and failures. So you know, you're not under the illusion that pastors are perfect or anything like that. Sometimes people can be under that illusion. And Pastor Steve and Angie and I don't want that to be the perception of anybody. And so since this is my last Sunday, I thought I'd share with you a story uh, that I haven't shared with you before <laughs> about a moment in my life when I felt like I, I wasn't going to get a second chance. It was a moment in my life when I felt like I wasn't going to get to be a pastor anymore because I had screwed up so bad. It was in my 20s after the first time I graduated from seminary. I graduated from seminary twice. <laughs> take the first time. <laughs> and we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and because we've always had a heart for that city. And we moved there to start a new ministry. And I had read all these books on church planning and leadership and theology, and I was so passionate to go change the world and help people know Jesus. And all my dreams just began to fall apart. We didn't ask the right questions. We started having financial difficulties, marital difficulties. The dream just began to crumble. And I was trying to change it with all my might, but the reality was I didn't have the power to change it. And so one day I was going to play basketball because that's always the way I've dealt with my stress. And I just love playing sports. And I was going to play basketball and it was the first time I got to play in months. And on the way there, I got a call from Danielle. I, op- I pick up the phone. I say, hey, honey. She said, there is all in our yard. And I bleeped that out on purpose. And I said, what do you say? Because my wife doesn't use cuss words very often, unless there's very dramatic situations. She said it again. There is all in our yard. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't know what to tell you, but there's a pile of it in our yard. And I said, so you want me to come home? (laughs) I said, I think this can wait until after basketball. Click. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't one of my best moments, but we were already having enough marital problems. I knew it couldn't get any worse. I needed to go play. So I went to play basketball and I came home and I found out everyone's worst nightmare is our septic tank had burst and there was a pile of poo all in our yard. And see, here's what happened is we were filled with really good intentions. We had this eco-friendly idealism that we're going to use diapers that you don't throw away and you flush them down the toilet. And then they got caught in the pipes, and then our septic tank burst. And so then I spent the rest of the day shoveling our own stuff into a hole I dug in my own yard. And that's what that whole year felt like in Raleigh, North Carolina. Because I entered into this time of not being sure it was ever going to work out. I didn't have a job anymore. I had two kids and a wife that didn't like me. And I just didn't see hope for the future. And we began to cry out to God. And God opened a door for us to work in a Lutheran church in Virginia. It began to bring healing into our soul and rebuilt our marriage, rebuilt our dreams for ministry. And then he eventually led us to go to another seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, where I met Steve, which led us to come here. And so God was teaching me something I could have never learned any other way. That ministry is dependent on his grace and his power in my life, not my passion to change the world. Jesus loves the world so much more than any of us do, and he's inviting us to play a part in his story if we trust him. And I don't know about you, but I know all of us have moments in our life when the crap hits the fan and we don't see any hope and we face a winter in our life and Jesus wants you to know you're not alone. He wants to walk through that with you and he wants to bring you into a community where you can face that together so you can be a part of his story of taking care of his little sheep and his little lost lambs that need to know there's a God that loves them enough to die on a cross and rise from the dead to live in their heart 
will never leave and forsake us and that we can be a part of a kingdom that will last forever that's bigger than the pain of this world. Now, one of the things that can keep us from finding our place in that, our story is what Peter experienced, actually. So after he has this moment with Jesus, he starts walking on the lo- along the road with, with him, and they continue the conversation. He looks back, and he sees one of his buddies following him close behind. He's, Peter, it, the story goes on, and Jesus tells Peter he's going to have an uncomfortable death. Like, you're going to be a part of this epic story, but it's not going to end well for you. <laughs> he's just straight up with them about it. And so Peter looks back at his buddy and says, well, what about him? Is, is he going to have the same thing happen to him? And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, well, what's that to you? You follow me. We begin to compare ourselves to other people's stories. We can miss the story God wants to write in our life. Because there's no one else God has made but you to be the husband, father, wife, brother, sister, student, neighbor, coworker that he's made you to be. It's in the places that he sends you in the world where your epic story is meant to be lived, where you're meant to share his love and his hope and receive the comfort that he offers and extend that to those around you. And we need to become the kind of people that can be trusted with others' story without trying to fix it, with loving them through the struggles of this world, to offer the hope that only Jesus Christ can offer. And that's the story he invites you and me into. Follow me, follow me, follow me, Jesus says. You're part of a bigger story. As we close today, I want you to turn your attention to another story from our congregation. I want you to consider what God is doing in your story and invite you to share that as we move forward. One thing I, I vividly remember from going to Catholic school was uh, one day, walking up and looking at this sheet on the wall and reading 23%, and I'm in seventh grade, and that's my current grade in religion class. Uh, unfortunately for most of my life, a relationship with God just wasn't a priority. Um, after going to Catholic school, I would say that I had a general belief in God, but I didn't necessarily like going to church all that much. I didn't talk to God a lot. I had never read the Bible. Um, that relationship just wasn't a priority. As an adult, I think, I always told myself that someday I'm gonna figure out what I believe. I'm gonna read the Bible and see what's in there and what is it all about. Uh, but it, it just, it was just never a priority in my life, I guess. Looking back, I, I think God was pursuing me for a long time, it's just, I didn't really take notice of it until I was almost 30 years old. I would say some things started happening in my life that just got me asking those spiritual questions, maybe taking life a little more seriously. I watched my grandparents pass away. I witnessed the birth of my daughter. Um, and pretty much felt helpless in both situations. So my wife and I also started attending First Lutheran occasionally. and without really understanding why, I remember just starting to be really bothered by the sin in my life. I remember times when I got on my knees and told God how terrible I was, but then other times where I was asking God if he even existed, um, it's kind of like I wanted a sign or something. I, I really started searching for God. Um, I did pick up the Bible. I had a lot of questions. Some of them were answered very quickly but then I was also led to a lot of new questions that I didn't have before. In search of more understanding, I found an AM radio station called Faith Radio. 
And at some point between the preaching at First Lutheran and on Faith Radio, what I was learning in the Bible, I came to an understanding that my sin had separated me from God and that Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin on the cross and really offered the only path back to God. And eventually I got to the point where I, I just talked to Jesus and I confessed the sin in my life and turned from it as best as I could and told him that I believed he was the Son of God, that he had paid the penalty for my sins on the cross, and I asked him to be my Lord and Savior. Um, and I, I really felt like at that point that I had started on this exciting journey, but for a while it was really a solo journey. Um, I didn't necessarily have a lot of strong Christians in my life. Um, but that started to change when I attended a, my team actually attended a, a team building activity at work. And as part of this, we were supposed to share three experiences that had shaped us as a person. Um, I don't remember what all of them were, but as one of them, I decided to share this, this new faith that I had and this journey that I was on. And nothing came of it immediately, but the next day a man on my team named Mike came to me and just mentioned that he liked what I shared, he asked if I'd grab coffee with him, and he ended up sharing his faith journey with me and asking me if I would study the Bible with him. And that invitation turned into over a year of Mike and I meeting every other week over lunch, studying the Bible. Um, and Mike really showed me how to not just make God a part of my life, but really how do I put Jesus at the center of my life. And now, just as Mike invited me to learn and grow in Christ, um, I've been able to invite others at home, at work, uh, at church. And it, it, it's been a really neat experience. I would say there's points where it's been challenging when there's people I care about that just don't seem interested. Um, but God's reminded me that he's the one that's in control, that my job is just to be faithful. And he's rewarded me too um, by allowing me to watch others embrace a more active faith, um, including both my mom and my wife. I just want to encourage you, God doesn't want any of us to die with the song still in our heart, the story not lived and not shared. He's got a story for each one of us. It's a part of his bigger story. And that's the one that we continue to share in, even when we're in different places. So I want to invite you to pray with me as we close. Father in heaven, I thank you that you've been writing a story since before the creation of the world. It's just birth in your love that you invite us into your story to trust you by faith in your son, Jesus, and what he's done for us. And so, God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with hope, with love, that we would find and step into our place in your story, and that the world would know how good you are because of what you've done in each one of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.